welcome to Anyone Can Move. This is season two, which suggests we had a wonderful season one. So welcome back to season two, and we're going to dive right in because you already know that I am one of three hosts, James Boyd, and joining me, I have wonderful Miss Katie Fleming. How are you doing, Miss Fleming? I'm doing so good. How are you, James? I'm good. All right. Everybody's wondering, is she there? Miss Katie Breland. Hello. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And everyone, yes, you are watching and listening to Anyone Can Move. Great, and we are back. We're about to have a wonderful conversation with, drum roll please, Lauren Ritchie. And um, I, I, I signed on and the ladies, the Katies, they were already mid conversation with uh, Miss Ritchie here. And uh, I found out she knows a good friend of mine, which is Greg. And Greg was on our show in season one. You're right. Go back and listen to that episode. But we're about to learn so much from Miss Lauren Ritchie. And um, I'm just excited to have you. Welcome. Thank you. And that might be the first time I've ever had a drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> so good. So, so, all right. Um, uh, I want the wonderful people to know the wonderful you. So, what is your background in dance? Yeah, thank you for asking. And just thank you for allowing me to come on and share. Um, we have mutual love of podcasting. And <laughs> I'm like, of course, this is how I want to spend my time. Um, there's so much beauty in this platform and this connection. So thank you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was a competitive dancer my whole life. That's sort of the stream that I entered into, uh, I was based in RAD ballet. So we did the whole, <laughs> the whole syllabus all the way through ARAD, uh, which I'm very grateful for. And that was the stream. I don't know how it necessarily always works in the States because I'm up in Canada, but once you enter into that realm, that's as a youth, that's the way that you get to perform and hit the stage. You know, and so that's just what we did. And around high school is when I started to consider doing this as a professional. Um, what I knew at that point was very limited because there was no internet, but I essentially hit a level in sport. It would be considered the elite training level, um, dance, maybe pre-professional, but I was at that level where this was a possibility and people were guiding me in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so that's when, you know, the world starts to open up a little bit more and you're going, okay, now what? <laughs> and then the adventure really began. But essentially I was a competition kid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and still dancing. Now, not as much, no. Now I've moved primarily. So I went into the professional world and I had a very rocky transition. Um, the competition world mirrors very little of the real professional world, as all three of you, I'm sure, know or can, you know, share stories about. But we were, I was so narrow in my identity. I essentially developed what we call an athletic identity. Um, dancers, gymnasts, figure skaters, they're primed up pretty well for this because we do early sports specialization. And so it was one of those things that it's all I wanted to do. I don't point fingers and blame anyone. Like this is where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in the studio six, seven days a week. But when doing that, I almost, you know, limited my other areas of growth, mm. which is, you know, learning to snowboard. It's like, nope, couldn't do that. I'd break my collarbone. And my mom was right. I probably would. But, you know, then I couldn't do the volleyball team because that was early morning practice and dance went really late. And so I essentially started forming this identity and when I transitioned from competition into the professional world, everything that had validated me, everything that I believed to be true about myself or important about myself, because, you know, the young ego likes to be real spicy around that age of development, it just crumbled. 
And I eventually, man, found myself questioning whether I even liked dance. Uh, I had developed some pretty severe control issues. It came mostly through food and bulimia. There was heavy, heavy depression. And essentially what I needed, the support that I needed, it wasn't physical and trust me, doctors tried to put me on antidepressants and like, that's not the thing I needed. Um, and even I knew that I had an intuition that no, 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 this isn't a physical thing. And it wasn't an artistic thing, right? Because as a human, you can train three things. You can train your mind, your body, your craft. That's sort of the platform in which most of this, you know, human potential conversation is based on. And one of my favorite sport and performance psychologists is Dr. Michael Gervais. He is um, primarily known for his work with the Seattle Seahawks, but he's just an amazing, amazing podcast as well, Finding Mastery. But essentially, we're working from the basis that you can train three things. And I was collapsing and crumbling mentally, period. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk about that in the dance community. There was nobody to recognize some of these symptoms, some of these potential problems when I was in it. And I mean, I'm talking deep depths of it. Nobody had tools. You know, and I don't, again, I'm not blaming anybody. It's not a conversation that was had. It wasn't something that was really flagged, especially in the competitive world. And so here I was very much sort of failing and flailing. And that is what introduced me to the first round of mental skills training and, and mindfulness. It was everything that I've done in my professional world now has been me search research. It was all things that I was lacking, that I needed support with. And as I was doing that work that I needed to rebuild and restructure myself mentally, I simultaneously started teaching dance. And again, at a competitive studio. And I noticed, oh my goodness, here's the gaps. Here's where there's an opportunity with what we're already doing to start to introduce new topics, see things in a different way, support the dancers to consider other things as they're growing and developing. And it was just, it's one of those pieces that once you know, you can't unknow. And I have it in my bones that if I know how to bring something that is more supportive, encouraging, inspiring, healthy into the space that I'm working in, then we're going to do it. And that's essentially what I've been doing for over 10 years now. Wow. That is so beautiful. I would love to hear about, you know, you talked about hitting that point where you were just like at your low and then you just kind of started researching, like, how did you get from that point to, you know, now you have, you're teaching others how to teach this to their students. What was that whole journey like? Yeah, I mean, a long one and still ongoing. I think that's the, that's the fun part and also the myth <laughs> that isn't always discussed. It's like there is no end point, especially when you're curious about the mind, mental health, all of those beautiful things. But it started with visits to psychologists and Qigong classes and yoga and life coaches and all of these different sort of people and experiences and workshops. And I just, I started to resonate with certain pieces or parts and they offered essentially a breadcrumb of curiosity for me. And I would kind of learn something, take it, implement it, play with it, mostly for myself at first, and then see sort of what naturally organically can start to flow into some of my teaching. It was in 2009 when my girlfriend and I, after a few years of doing a lot of this work, we created a summer intensive. And this was, guys, this was like way before this conversation. Even the word mindfulness was like, what? <laughs> created an, a week-long intensive where we had some of LA and Vancouver's just most brilliant teachers or um, stars at the time, because this is like this is like when So You Think You Can Dance was really hitting the stage. So we brought in Twitch and like Katie Sheen and Erica Sobel and like all like Matt Katie, Megan Lawson, like all these fun, amazing people, right? 
And in between their classes, we would do seminars and sessions introducing like a little mental skill. And then the teachers, because they're brilliant and wonderful human beings, they allowed us to sort of do moments of interjection in their class time to sort of go, hey, remember what we had just said? Okay, stop, pause, what's going on? Are you using the tool? Okay, great, keep going. You know, and we kind of had this like dance of teachers going on. And, I, and not only did it like sell out, but it essentially was clearly landing. Now I say that with a little asterisk because we know in sort of youth brain development, I mean, the prefrontal cortex is nowhere near done in regards to development. And that's the part that is responsible for planning, strategy, all those pieces. But my thought and my approach has always been continue planting the seeds, planting the ideas, nurture them as the leader, nurture them as the teacher, so that when they get a bit older, these, it's not like, what, what is this? There's an idea that's been brewing. There's a concept that's been introduced. So we did that for a few years. There was a lot of moving. She had, you know, some babies, all that good stuff, which again, I, I feel like is very, um, it's a topic that's not always talked about in the artistic community. It's, there's so many little artistic projects and, and groupings and you get together and you make cool things and it's okay if they have a life cycle. It's okay if, you know, you try something, you learn from it, you take it into your next thing. And that's what I did. And I, I had a wonderful studio owner say, what do you want? What would you want on the schedule if these dancers who were craving more and wanting more, and really when I say that, it's like, they were curious about how to be their best. What do we need to do in the schedule? And she gave me full permission to have, you know, the mental skills classes. And then I had them for jazz. I had them for training and conditioning. So I was sort of like the little through line. And after three years, it was astonishing. Not just how much they grew physically, but what they believed was possible for themselves and the risks they were willing to take in full trust. And so for me, that's even, you know, feeling like you deserve to be in that audition room for that national ballet company, whether or not you get it, it's understanding that you get to go for that and you deserve to be there. Mm -hmm. And these were coming from kids who were very nervous and very, you know, unsure, kind of underdoggy, that sense. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So then after that, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm going to get my master's in coaching studies. And I chose to focus on mental skills training for dancers. So what that means is I was essentially in a room full of teachers and coaches, soccer, hockey, basketball, synchronized swimming, rock climbing. Like we were all coaches. And from there, that's where we started to dive into like the mastery and the art and the craft of coaching and incorporating the newest science and that skill acquisition, sports psych, like all of those pieces and then bringing it into our sport, whatever that means. Mm. And so that's what I've done. I wrote a book for dance teachers. Uh, that was my final project on how to bring mental skills training into their dance studios. And from there, I mean, it's just been a few years of Teacher train. I developed a teacher training this year because thank goodness 2020 opened up everybody to online learning, right. <laughs> you know, and like sessions and seminars and workshops and all, their, all the rest. And I've just been so ecstatic that the conversation continues to grow. Wow. Okay. So we like to read. So you said four, four dance teachers, four number or four dance teachers. For like it for my final project, I wrote a book for the dance teacher. Like so you read and sort of pick out which things you'd like to play with, if you will. And that is something that I give the dance teachers who come to my teacher trainings. Neat. <laughs> How long after you finished school, um, did, was this like an immediate process where you finished school and you're like, I'm just going to start like developing all these new things? Or was it like, what was that process like to be where you are now? I mean, 
it's been in development for at least 10, 11, almost 12 years. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the beautiful part about following the things that interest you and that you could literally, I could talk about this for 12 hours a day and I think it's fascinating. And that's been how it's been so sustainable and how it's also grown and changed and morphed. And so this is where the work had started so long ago. And just now, the more that I know, the more communities I, you know, get into, the more mentors who take me under their wing, just the better and the more targeted the work becomes. Wow. I feel like a lot of dancers have kind of struggled with what you were talking about earlier about sort of having that one thing that you focused on your entire life. And especially during this time, you know, not being able to do it and kind of having an identity crisis. I for sure had that when I graduated school, just feeling like, wait, who really am I? Um, what piece of advice would you give someone um, kind of in that? Cause I still sort of feel like that sometimes me and Katie were talking about that. Just like, we can't really do what we love. Um, and I know you said exploring different outlets, but yeah, what advice would you give to us? Yeah, I, are you in your 20s? Yes. Okay, great. Because <laughs> I feel like that is one of the most incredible and uh, courageous times of your life where you get to make really bold choices and actions and learn from them. The reality is, is that the, the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, I mean, it doesn't even slow down until 22, 24. And so everything that you're doing is essentially still informing and molding those parts and those experiences. And so for me, it is giving yourself a lot of grace and patience as you discover new parts about yourself or the communities that you like to be a part of. Essentially, if you have put yourself in one specific box for a very long time, the magic is to take all of the growth mindset, all of that resilience that you've built in the studio, all of that curiosity, the fail, the try again, the repeat, and now bring it into a new stage of life. And this is where we want to be able to transfer what we learn into the studio into our live muggle life is essentially what I call it, right? Just like normal human non-dance life. And this is where we, we get challenged again to, to reconnect with our growth mindset. Because most things that we're going to try in our early 20s that we've never done before, we're going to suck at. You know, like <laughs> you've never done them before. And, and I know that, you know, that, that idea of high achievement and perfectionism has been, you know, running through our, our bones for a long time. And so for me, it has been this process of, you know, you have to actually go out and do things, you know, thinking about what you might like to do will get you only so far and then you have to experience it and try it. Um, I think what you're also probably noticing is the difference between, you know, doing, 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 and now you're being invited to just reflect on who you are at your core, regardless of dance, you know, and it's that sense of, can I be and become the person that I want to be with or without dance? And I mean, that's your twenties, right? Like that's, Nobody has sort of like a, a free pass in that. That's that's the stage of development. That's sort of this transition into, you know, I had a I had a 17-year-old ask me, she was noticing she was really focusing on the future. And of course we all are right now. And especially if you're graduating high school or graduating college, like we're all sort of grasping at like, what is the future? And I said, you know, for so long we've been given ladders to climb. You know, you go from grade one to grade two to grade three. In dance, you might be doing examinations or certain programs, and there's always sort of this ladder where you're told, you know, climb that way. <laughs> and you have a coach cheering you on as you climb, which is great. That's, I'm not hating on that, but it has turned off this sort of curiosity and connection around spirit, you know, the doing versus being. And as soon as that ladder is all yours as an adult you're going wait where's this going <laughs> like am I on the right ladder or is this the ladder 
And that's, I mean, the truth about a dance career is there is no ladder. It is, you know, Cheryl, uh, is it Cheryl Sandberg who wrote Lean In? The, she's the, what is it? At Facebook. Ooh, no. Vice president? Anyway, Cheryl, <laughs> Lean In. It's a good one. Um, she talks about how, you know, our parents, my parents' generation, there were ladders and ours is a jungle gym. We're just going to go around hitting different points, you know, exploring different areas. There, there are ladders in certain careers, but like the artist life, I don't think has that. And, and it's even restructuring that for yourself as you're learning who you are and you're making this transition because you've been climbing ladders for a really long time. And now you're on the jungle gym where you get to choose which direction to go. That was a very long answer and I went a lot of places. So I'm sorry, ask me <laughs> if anything needs clarification with that. Yeah, that was great. No, I love it. I love the, the ladder metaphor. It just makes so much sense. Yeah. No, We're a was... ladder climber, but I need to <laughs> get in the jungle gym. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What well, was the, oh, sorry, go ahead, James. No, go ahead, Fleming. Yeah. I was about to say, uh, Fleming, do you have a question? <laughs> <laughs> go for it. I think I was going to ask, um, I started talking to James and then I forgot what I was going to ask, but I think I was going to ask something along the lines of, um, at what point were you, well, you kind of already touched on this, but like when you were starting to realize that like mental health was very important for everyone, not just dancers, but um, I guess like, could you talk more about just like that process of being like, oh, I can like, this is really important. And then like, why is that so important, especially for dancers, since this is a dance podcast, but just for anyone. Yeah. I mean, health first and foremost in all areas, right? That you can do all the things in the world, but if if you are not healthy, if, you know, I think in the physical sense, they say you're as healthy as your spine, <laughs> you know, that kind of analogy. And I, just mental health, it's like, wherever you go, there you are, mm. you know, and, and the reality is we are living a life that is so fast and so disconnected that in my heart, I'm going, of course, like, of course, we're all struggling with this. And trying to find ways to work through it. Hence, you know, coping can be healthy or unhealthy. But I think that's the biggest thing is wherever you go, there you are. And so why don't we make sure that your internal framework, the way that you move through the world is one that supports you and excites you and brings you awe and allows you to feel the full range of emotions because guess what we're humans we're going to feel the full range of emotions without being totally derailed by them mm. you know and I think that that's the essence of mindfulness is to be able to notice what's showing up and not be a reactor mm. you know and this is where I love the little video of inside out you know it's given kids a great visual representation of, you know, you, you have joy, you have fear, you have awe, you have nerves, whatever that is, but who's on your controller, you know, who's at the panel and you, you know, we, we use the words like I'm angry. Mm-hmm. That Susan David, who talks about emotional agility is the one that, you know, I really listened to when she was encouraging to say, I notice I'm feeling anger, you know, or when you're doing a mindful sit, it can be like, Ooh, there's anger. Okay. Notice, you know, and it doesn't need to be a full, a full blown reaction. You don't actually need to do anything with it for a moment and just allow yourself to sit with it. We don't sit at all, or we don't have to, with anything these days. This is the first time in human history you can be distracted 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. You can literally have your hand attached to a phone and you can consume somebody else's life and somebody else's thoughts and somebody else's content 24 hours a day. 
that's not healthy. And that's not living. That's not life. You know, I saw a meme this week that's like, you're not meant to just work, watch TV and scroll. Like <laughs> there's a lot more here. <laughs> and yet we fall into it. I fall into it. You know, it, it, the device is built to keep us addicted. And so when we look at even the idea that rest and recovery is a fundamental pillar of high performance and health and wellness, true rest and recovery isn't scrolling on a device, even though your body might be laying still, you're, you're just as activated, you know, in your brain. It is just as triggering to self-talk, comparison, perfectionism. Like you're just drinking that down as you scroll. So I think that that's the invitation then to look at how are you taking care of yourself in true essence of rest and recovery. And if you don't want to look at it from a self-care perspective, well, look at it from a performance perspective. You still need, your body needs rest and recovery. And we as dancers don't do that well. <laughs> God. Hmm. I, <clears throat> so help me on this and I you're you're the best person to ask <laughs> why is it so important to have a handle on one's imagination why is it so so this is threefold so why is it important to have an imagination and know how to use it you're saying curiosity why should I be curious and then why should I why should I observe things um do, do you mind great. touching on those, those, the, the three? I know, I know we could spend like hours unpacking those, but scratch the surface for us, if you don't mind. Yes, I will do my best to scratch the surface. And you might, <laughs> and you might need to remind me of some of the questions. Um, first one, first question, why is it important to use our imagination? Or why is it, you know, useful to even notice what's going on in our head? Well, from a mental skills space, imagery is an incredibly powerful tool for not only building a skill and working through development, but really fundamentally starting to notice what you believe is possible for yourself. And I know that that can edge a little bit on the, the woo-woo side, and I'm, I, I'm not going there. I'm actually going to the place where first imagery is not visualization. Visualization is focused primarily more on the sight of things. You're imagining yourself seeing the audience or you're imagining yourself watching yourself sort of like on a TV. Imagery is like the full immersion of all five senses. And so you can use that to your advantage as you, if you're physically done, you know, your body's like, peace out. You now have another option to really embody and embrace whatever it is that you're playing with and working on. So this is where, you know, when athletes, your Tiger Woods, like golf is really big with this, your Tiger Woods, um, when I think Michael Phelps speaks about it as well, when your body is, you know, tapped out, the same parts in your brain start to light up when you're truly putting yourself into the experience. And I say this with dancers, like, you know what it's like to walk backstage. You can kind of feel like the heat of the lights. You, there's like a smell often of hairspray or, you know, like whatever that is. And you'll also notice when I did it with, with dancers who were preparing for their solos, their heart right away starts to clench or their stomach, like they're walking back and they can feel that anticipation being backstage. And so this is where you're using your imagination to front load the experience and actually take a breath, start to notice what you need to focus on that feels supportive. Maybe you are saying a mantra or a cue to yourself to sort of keep yourself present and where your feet are. I mean, that's all imagination, essentially. And so not only can it be facilitated from a performance perspective, I also like to 
really use this when we're talking about goal setting. And I know I'm opening up like, oh, I have an hour and a half session on goal setting this week and I have many opinions about goals. But I will say to be able to imagine yourself in the company that you desire to be or imagine yourself in the audition that you're really excited about, regardless of the outcome, regardless of what happens, you can start to notice what lights you up imagining that space. And so one of the things that I really like to encourage dancers to do when they're entering into transition, you know, going in auditioning, um, picking a path, commercial concert, whatever that is, you sort of imagine where you feel most alive or like what that would be like. And then you start to notice things around it. You know, what kind of people are you surrounded by? What are the conversations? How does that feel? How does it feel in your body? What do you notice? And it's, that's all imagination again, but it's helping you get clarity into perhaps what you value or what you think would be a cool experience. And then it doesn't matter so much if it's not that exact company, if you're still seeking those experiences and you're aware of that, you can start to appreciate and recognize it. So really, again, it came from me not doing that (laughs) and then entering into contracts that were disastrous. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the type of dancing I wanted to do. It wasn't the people who I wanted to be surrounded with. And I was just, wow, really could have thought that one through a little sooner. (laughs) So that's the imagination portion. Can you remind me of the second question? (laughs) Well, I was curious about curiosity and, you know, is that still valid? Is that important? (laughs) I mean, that to me, if you can stay in that space, it just feels more wondrous and limitless and and playful I don't know maybe that's a personal thing I I don't think so because I've heard a lot of people speak to moving through life with that framework and Mm. it tends to be the one that allows and offers some grace and some growth Um, to me perfectionism feels very rigid and black and white and the curiosity opens and expands So that's where I think I've, I try even today in my journaling session, like I have a pretty strong morning routine and I wrote a whole list of questions around, I wonder, you know, and, and what would, what could that look like? And I'm talking about even for me personally in my career now, like what would it look like to share more generously? What options are there that I'm just not even considering, you know? And I don't know, that's again, I'd rather, I just would rather live that way. And I think the artists in us, that's where the magic is, you know? I mean, that's what improv is. That's what conversation between two dancers is through the body. It's, I don't know, there's this, there's a spirit to it, an essence to it that just feels like a better way to move through life for me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> these are by far like the best answers yes. I've ever heard. Just, i'm just sharing uh uh that fact <laughs> mm-hmm. i i don't ask the question often but i listen to a lot of people who you know know what they're talking about in terms of curiosity observation and 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 just overall uh mentality and how to use and and really your explanation, Lauren, uh, <laughs> I, I'm attaching to it and uh, I'm writing down quotes. So <laughs> I'm excited about your book. Okay. <laughs> sure the girls have uh, other questions, but thank you. <laughs> no, of course. What was the last one? You had one more. Oh, yes. It, well, it was observation. And, 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 and you, you were, you know, you had a nice thread and you're weaving in and out of how and why that's important. Um, so I didn't bring that back up, but, but yes, yeah, observation, it, it's, it's quite clear that you have to be observant to, to even maybe even approach or talk about curiosity and, 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 and just the overall use of men- mental health and mindfulness. Yeah, I mean, 
I'll say if, if you love the, the curiosity conversation and the spirit behind it, Elizabeth Gilbert, I mean, her just as a human, my favorite human, but she has big magic, which I think captures the essence of every creative and artist ever. Cause it talks about even the relationship between creativity and fear and her words are remarkable. She's remarkable. And I'll say some of this is really inspired by Michael Gervais' podcast, Finding Mastery, he brought on Jack Cornfield, who's a mindfulness expert. And he was just sitting and talking about noticing judgment, you know? And I think that's the one that rang true for me as a dancer, as somebody who has been trained in finding what needs to be fixed, finding you know, what would get us a little closer to the essence or the perfection or whatnot. And essentially a lot of me telling myself in many years that I'm not good enough, mm. you know, or that I'm, I'm flat out just not enough or what, or over-personalizing what somebody doesn't need versus who I am. <laughs> you know, that's the audition scene. It's like taking things personally, which actually have very little to do with you but noticing how often judgment shows up Mm. (laughs) and then it becomes a fork in the road of do you believe that do you trust that do you act from that or what else could I learn from that or notice from that and a new way to respond is going to feel like friction at first. It, if you've been beating yourself up for 10 years, yeah, that feels like the natural normal response. Mm. And yet that isn't actually helpful. That's not going to lead you to growth. You know, I heard it was, I think a new year's resolution, TikTok or something, but it was like, you can't hate yourself into health. Mm. And I, that one sticks with me. Cause yeah, you can't hate yourself into mental health. You can't hate yourself into growth, you know? And, and so for me, noticing the judgment and not responding and going, ah, there's that voice, you know, that to me is powerful because for so long I've just been reacting, you know, reacting to the initial thoughts or things that I've been told from the past, whatever that is. And yeah, you know, hearing that judgment and not believing it or diving into it has been very helpful. Mm. I just wanted to say, I think it's so funny. I looked up at one point and all three of us were like taking notes at the same time about what you were saying. And I was like, wow, this is so good. (laughs) I also am curious, um, who do you personally like listen to, to learn more about like mindfulness and just like mental health and stuff? Like who are maybe like three people that you just are like, these are my people that I love getting feedback from them and stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You just opened up another camera. <laughs> I actually posted on my Instagram recently. I'm talking yesterday. I took a break from, I took a break from Instagram and social media platforms over Christmas because I am so incredibly human that not only do I find myself scrolling, I find myself comparing faster than I can even catch up with my own thoughts, you know? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go off social media. It felt lovely and wonderful. And there was part of me that's like, do I have to go back on? I don't, you know, but the reality is it also has been the most beautiful connector and opener to new relationships and conversations. So it's, you know, the light and and the dark. And I said on my, I said on my Instagram stories, I said, what do you guys want on my feed? You know, I can do videos of myself talking and telling you about mental skills. Is that interesting? I'm pretty sure most people want to see my husband and my dog, but I do too. So I get it. But most people were like, "Uh, I'd like your book recommendations and your podcast recommendations. (laughs) So the fact that you're asking me this, I was like, yep, yeah, that's, that sounds right. Um, You know, I've had some incredible mentors who I will never meet, or I mean, I have met some of them. I hope to meet them, but also they might never know my name and it doesn't matter. I still take everything that they say and really use it. And so this is where mentorship has been 
an interesting topic for me to explore because I think sometimes we really want that person next to us to be our mentor. And I'm like, oh, I have so many that will never know my name. Um, so Liz Gilbert has been somebody who for me has really captured just the self-compassion and the, and the enchantment and the curiosity around what it is just to be connected to this creative spirit, you know? Michael Gervais has definitely been a podcast that I've listened to. Him and Pete Carroll have an audible book. He has a course, Compete to Create. Um, you know, he's probably one of the more vocal and succinct sport and performance psychologists. Brene Brown and her work with vulnerability and leadership is just, I mean, me and what, 50 million other people? <laughs> like, yeah, we're on the Brene train. Um, Interesting enough, this, this might be a little curious to some, but Rob Bell, he is, I don't, I mean, he's an author, he is a pastor, he is a speaker, a podcaster, all the rest. What's interesting is that I wasn't raised in a religious household or community, mm -hmm. but he talks about spirits. And the first part of his book, Everything is Spiritual, is actually all about science and how we've come to be <laughs> these beings, you know, through a, through a wonderful big bag 13 billion years ago. And what I like is that he's the one that introduced me to the words, of course. And that was such a gentle phrase, you know, when it's like, when you're, I can think of times where I was literally, you know, sitting in a corner crying out of despair of some kind. And his has that gentle voice of like, of course you're upset, you know, like, and then you can just see it for what it is. Or if a person responds a certain way and it's not the way you would respond, if you actually sit with it, of course, they're, we're all stressed. We are all uncertain about what the next three months looks like. Like, of course, that's the response. Um, there was a gentleness with that, as well as resilience is rooted in the return. That's a quote I have on my wall. I've shared it so many times. It really opens up just the image that it is the, the return. And, and the way he talks about it, it's the healthy way is the return to yourself, you know, return to the curiosity, return to the, to the part of you that is just determined and fierce to get it, you know, whatever that is. Um, there's a researcher, last name Sullivan, she says, learn, burn, return, you know, for resilience, like learn from it and then just burn it, get be done with it. Do not marinate on it, like get what you need to from it and then return back into it. So yeah, um, those ones for sure. I am a hundred percent guilty that I will put my mouth to the fire hose of information and inspiration. And so <laughs> I literally overwhelm with my, myself with this sometimes. So that's where I am learning to draw some boundaries or be really cautious about um, when to just sit through the work and also work through the work, you know, take in that information. But, you know, in a time where we have so much information, the application can often get lost. And so for me, I'm still learning the balance of reading all the books, having all the knowledge, but I mean, it's critical that you do the work. So Michael Gervais talks a lot about personal philosophy and he encourages everybody to get to know, you know, discover their personal philosophy. If somebody had, you know, a knife to your throat in the back alley and said, what's your personal philosophy to be able to say something and say something that's true, you know, and I know what a visual, what a visual. I think it might, I think it might sort of draw a different visual in Canada than the States, but I say that with love, <laughs> but um, mine is choose courage and do the work. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and if I can lead my life on the daily, 
through that framework. I'm going to live true to my heart because we know courage is actions of the heart. And I am somebody who values do the work, the uncomfortable, grimy work that you would prefer not to do, but that will also, if you don't do it, you'll literally betray your own soul. You'll betray your own heart, mm. you know? And so that's where I'm just, yeah, my, my table of mentors is, is long. Um, Justin Sua is one that I interviewed on the dance podcast. He's a mental performance consultant in Florida with the major league baseball. Um, if people are interested in that, he has like a short little podcast, like five minutes a day, two minutes a day. Um, I just, yeah, I have so much respect for the blend of mindfulness, spirituality, science, psychology. I mean, my goal over the next year and two, three, who knows, I'm not pretending that I know anything at this point about timelines, <laughs> but I made it very clear last year as I was, you know, graduating and continuing to do the work. I really see myself being a bridge, you know, taking all of the stuff that we know in academia and often the academics is largely rooted in sport, but bridging it and translating it, you know, into the dance studio and, bridging the the information into action you know and and for the next few years i just see that as being incredibly exciting opening new options and conversations and i i just yeah i i want to stay playing in this pool <laughs> for a very long time so stay <laughs> so good well um since we're talking about mindfulness and stuff so much but um I guess what is something that you think is something that a lot of dancers are struggling right with right now mentally especially like coming out of 2020 going into 2021 like whew, crazy topic but like can you scratch on that a little bit yeah so Canada and the States are in very different places right now. And I want to be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. We're in lockdown right now. I haven't been in the dance studio for two months. Oh, and that was the second round in 2020 of being in lockdown. So right now, what I feel is a lot of the dancers are just tired of dancing in their bedrooms, which is fair. Um, We've had a lot of sort of carrots dangled, like, oh, maybe competition in the summer. Oh, maybe competition in the fall. Oh, maybe the, 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 uh. and, and that gets defeating, you know, when the adults are telling you one thing and then you kind of get the rug pulled out. So on a broad level, I would say that just expectations need to be seriously reconsidered by all parties, you know, no dance teacher can expect awesomeness when kids are dancing on a carpeted basement. You know, like it just, we're going to do our best, but like expectation check. And the same with the dancers. I know that many of them are panicky that they have fallen behind. They know that they are not training at the same level of the same sustainability with the same growth because of the disruption in their training. Um, you know, training with a mask on can take some adjustment and get getting used to the way that I would like them to visualize it is more of a slingshot. You know, it's like, it's okay to pull back. It's okay to work on tiny basics. It's okay to learn about your own mental framework when the tension pulls. Mm. All of this can be helpful. All of this can be facilitative. That said, it's also okay if you're not a slingshot and you're just feeling like a rock on the floor. That is okay for right now and that's okay for the moment. Um, this is a lot for young minds. Although if there's one thing we know to be true, it's they are adaptive and they are resilient and that's incredible and amazing. But it's a lot. You know, they're, they've been online learning as well and then opening up Zoom and one girl honestly shared, like, it's really hard when you do your online schooling all day 
and then you look out your window and all your buddies are going to the community rink because you're allowed to skate outdoors but you got to turn on zoom and do four hours of dance even though you've been on screen all day so in general that's where my heart is right now if we pulled out and maybe even looked more at you know next steps in 2021 rather than the 2020 ish um before pandemic during pandemic after pandemic i think it generally comes down to being enough mm. being enough with and without dance trusting that you have something to say and nobody needs to validate that again see this is why i love social media fun little meme it's like the people living their best life do not need to take a picture and post their best life because they do not need validation they are living their best life and i feel like this validation situation <laughs> in the dance community is really really tricky and there are absolutely times where it is necessary required um, helpful to listen to the feedback of the mentors and your teachers they good ones will shape you into a greatness that you perhaps never imagined yourself and rejection is not it shouldn't Ooh, that's a tricky word but don't let it steal your artistic voice you know and this is where sometimes when i walk into to studios and i ask dancers who here considers themselves an artist especially in competitive studios sometimes only a couple kids raise their hands and so to me that's an interesting ratio of what not only the studio is talking about or focusing on but also what a missed opportunity for these young minds and hearts to explode with light and risk and vulnerability and creation and i think that that's something that's needed now more than ever i said to the dancers before the christmas break like you can consume somebody else's life and somebody else's TikTok. You can contribute to social media by like giving the like button, writing a comment, whatever. But the whole idea of these platforms is to create, you know, and, and I'm like, guys, we're creators. We should be making the TikTok dances that the others <laughs> need to copy. We don't need to copy more, you know? And so this is where, I think that this idea of creation without competition, without expectation could be a really fun place to continue to grow. And that's how you learn about your voice, right? Yeah. Guys, I made the dumbest VHS tapes. I can tell you with certainty that I would have been on the TikTok and the, you know, the YouTube and all the rest. And I'm thankful I'm not, but there's something in us, all of us that we're creators. Mm -hmm. They just have better technology and better filters, you know? Yeah. But this is where it's like, trust that you can play, trust that you can let that expand. That's the craft. Mm -hmm. That's what actually makes you special. It's not the extra two inches on your side deflape. Like, it's everything that's on the inside coming out. I'm rambling. So, so. <laughs> that, what you just said oh, in such a good way. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. And and me search research. Yeah. Me, not, me yeah. not trusting I'm enough. Yeah. Me not believing the compliments, but definitely accepting the, you know. Mm less than positive feedback yeah. you know um our brains are built to have that negativity bias mm. and that's not going to be helpful as an artist right mm. so 
play. Mm. Play. <laughs> well, well, time is kind of um, uh, uh, ticking for us here. So I, but I, I, I don't want you to leave or go anywhere. <laughs> so how do we make that work? Speaking of technology, <laughs> just we need to loop this and keep this going. Guys, I'm in lockdown. I got all the time. <laughs> so, so again tomorrow. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we, we, we would love to have you on um, again and then again and again and again. Um, but uh, speaking of future, um, I, I kind of want to like maybe dream a little bit um, and get your take. Uh, uh, Post-pandemic, everything lifts. People are now um, uh, capable and allowed to be out, go back to the studio, um, audition. Uh, uh, what has changed? Has anything changed? Would we go back to normal? Did, did, ha have you thought about this a little bit? Um, uh, or will it be an enhancement on the dance industry? Um, there's no telling, but I'm just curious uh, to know your thoughts. The only way any of this changes is if we do the inside work mm -hmm. and stay true to it. And so I, I too don't know if people will just literally run back to a, anything that feels that sense of normalcy or whether people will essentially stand for a shift and a change and, and a perspective. I, yeah, I don't know. Again, the heaviness in my heart is that at least in my city, we've lost a lot of wonderful businesses. They did not make it. And that might be true with some of the arts companies, depending on how long this goes. And so I don't know what 2021 looks like. I am the biggest Broadway fan. I love enjoying the community of dance and shows and I hope that we slingshot. I hope that there is an explosion of appreciation and excitement around what entertainment has to offer and live entertainment. Again, one of those things where you're, everyone's sitting at home watching Netflix. What do you think those people on Netflix are? They're the artists. So my, my ideal would be that everyone gets really excited and really on board for online or sorry in person <laughs> performances <laughs> we've had enough online <laughs> um i have one final question before we like kind of sign off here but i guess for anyone who's just like first like or let me rephrase that anyone who's just starting their like mindfulness practice and like really going for a holistic approach, like what are some things that you would recommend to help get them started or motivated or encouraged? Oh, that's a wonderful question. This is going to be again, a new process, which requires some doing and some learning and some testing and some trying. So there are certain meditations or people that I have found that I'm like, Ooh, this person knows what's up. You know, they, they're a great resource and that can be your Tara Brock or that could be your Jack Cornfield or whatever that is. And some people like headspace, you know, where it's much more yeah. up and structured. First and foremost, I believe that even sitting for two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. I mean, I think 20 minutes is kind of the magic mark, but I don't even do that on the daily, but just carving out and taking the time to notice your breath, do a body scan, see if you can catch some of the thoughts, like the thoughts that you're ruminating on and what would it look like if they were literally just like clouds passing and you could just let it go and see what that feels like, see what that brings up. I mean, that's sort of entry point number one. Your breath 
is your greatest tool for getting grounded, finding a sense of calm, giving your brain, your drunken monkey brain, something to focus on and actually follow. So doing that kind of breath work consistently is where I think the path could begin. Like it's a very accessible one without, you know, sending you down too many roads. The biggest thing about mental work, mindfulness, mental skills, is the consistency piece. Mm -hmm. And we know as dancers, Mm -hmm. the first time you tried a pirouette, it wasn't good. (laughs) You know, and it's only through consistent practice and muscle training and prioritization that you start to feel the winds of change. Mm -hmm. And then what happens the minute you get your single pirouette, you want your double mm-hmm. and then you want your triple, you know? <laughs> and so this is where I use the analogy of push-ups a lot as well. If you could do 10 push-ups, no knees on the ground, full army push-ups, and you had the goal to do 20, you know, to gain that strength, to gain that kind of stability in your body, you wouldn't do push-ups when you felt like it. Because who feels like doing push-ups? I don't know. Um, You wouldn't do the occasional push-ups or a couple on like Fridays. You, to build your body, would do push-ups every day, you know, or you'd have a very structured, systematic plan on how you want to build that. The same goes for mental work, that same kind of prioritization and consistency, The tricky thing is it's invisible, you know, and because of the way that our brains have so many beautiful systems in them and emotional, you know, systems and all the rest, you don't always necessarily feel progress or feel that kind of like dopamine dump of yay me. But this is where the long-term growth and long-term health is going to have exponential payoffs. But I think first and foremost, it is can you do one thing consistently. Mm-hmm. Oof. To it, if anyone wants habits, I love James Clear Atomic Habits. That's Atomic. Yeah. And he does a million podcasts. <laughs> he has tons of interviews. Um, James Clear Atomic Habits. It's good. A title. Oof. Yeah, last uh, season, we also kind of like did like a little book club where we read through the creative habit. And so like, this will be really interesting to like, since we talked so much about habits, you know, last season, and then like, now it's like, ooh, let's try some more like mental habits and things. That's exciting. So enjoy that Fleming. Yes, full circle <laughs> moment. Well, I've, I can say in all honesty, I've never taken so much notes on a podcast. I've learned so much. And I know this episode is just going to be something that genuinely helps so many people because, I mean, the three of us are like, it just helped us so, so, so much. Um, So thank you. Thank you, guys. I am so incredibly honored. It takes everything in me not to start interviewing you and asking you questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please plug your podcast. She has an incredible podcast. The dance podcast. Find find you, everything, Instagram, all of it. Thank you. Yeah. um, I've done the dance podcast for five seasons. That, I mean, that's a whole other conversation and a beautiful project of never-ending gifts and trials and, you know, all the things. My Instagram is Lauren underscore M underscore Richie. That's sort of the platform that I probably hang out most. And I mean, I have Facebook, but like I said, I mean, my whole intention with social media now is to be very clear Mm. as to why I'm showing up on it and what actually contributes, you know, what actually needs to be said or shared or offers education or inspiration right well said and a little you know a little bit of dog photos (laughs) 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 
bad. He just, he has his own account, but you know, but we just sprinkle them in every once in a while. <laughs> you have to inspire the four-legged humans. <laughs> That's amazing. I am so grateful. So thank you for having me. Uh, oh, and my website is withlauren.ca. CA for the Canada, right? <laughs> but I, yes, I am so grateful to spend my time with you. I would love to come back anytime. I really do though, share everything from the people who I have shared with you today. And, uh, and my goal is, yeah, just to keep bridging this information. So thank you. <laughs> Yay. Well, uh, uh, we would love to um, attach you to a wonderful tradition we have of signing off. And it goes a little something like this, because I'm James Boyd, and we've been in a wonderful discussion with Lauren Ritchie. And yes, you guessed it, those who are listening and watching, yes, I believe anyone can move. What about you, Fleming? Do you believe anyone can move? I believe anyone can move, yes. All right, Breland, right at you. Do you believe anyone can move? Anyone can move. Okay, the amazing mental health pro, Lauren Ritchie. Do you believe anyone can move? I know anyone and everyone can move. <laughs> there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Anyone Can Move. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye.